Well, what was, what was the Chicago Cub doing on the front cover of Sports Illustrated magazine just a couple of weeks ago? Uh, the guy is John Lester. I don't know if you saw this, but he was recently acquired by the Cubs in the offseason. And this was earth-shattering news in baseball world, which is why it was on the front cover of Sports Illustrated. See, the deal is John Lester's a good player. <laughs> yeah, he's a big left-handed pitcher, 2.46 ERA, that's really good. Three-time All-Star, uh, being pursued by other teams because he was a free agent including the San Francisco Giants, who have won three out of the last five World Series. So what is the dude doing signing with the Cubs, who've had five straight losing seasons and haven't won a World Series since 1908? Good question. Some of you who are cynics, you're saying, well, it could have something to do with the $25 million a year that they're going to pay him for the next six years. Yikes. But I'll tell you what, other teams were offering him generous packages as well. That, that wasn't the deal. As I heard him interviewed on several occasions, what he kept saying was, you know, I'll use my words, it's about the mission, the mission of the new Cubs owners. I mean, they really want to win a World Series. I heard one radio uh, sports station ask him the question, so, you know, how big a factor is this 106-year drought? you know, that you'd like to see ended. Cubs win a World Series. And Lester said it was big. It was, he's up to the challenge. And if you think, but the guy's crazy trying to do it with the Cubs, uh, let me just point out Las Vegas does not agree with you. Before he signed with the Cubs, the odds were 50 to 1 of the Cubs. You know, if you wanted to bet on the Cubs in a 2015 World Series, they dropped to 12 to 1 after he signed. This could be the year. And some of you are wondering, what in the world does this have to do with Christ Community Church? Well, I'll tell you, this is our 30th anniversary. We're celebrating this weekend. We're launching a four-part series called I Love This Church. We're talking about the mission of Christ Community Church. And just as John Lester was enticed to join the Cubbies because of the mission, the World Series, hopefully, you know, I want to entice you to become part of the team here because of the mission, what we're all about. Now, if the word sounds strange to you to talk about church and mission in the same breath, I mean, you get the fact that a sports team should have a mission, an army should have a mission, businesses have missions, political parties have missions, but churches, churches don't have missions. You know, church is like a family, right? Family doesn't have a mission, just a group of people hanging out together under the same roof. That's a church. People get together on weekends who believe in God and they learn a little bit more about him. But mission? I'm here to tell you Christ Community Church has a mission and the mission shapes everything we do here. It shapes every weekend service, shapes every ministry, every program, every outreach. We believe it's the mission that has driven us from a group of six families originally 30 years ago to 5,000 people on four campuses today. And we believe that the better people understand the mission and participate in the mi mission of Christ's community church, the more they'll get out of this church. So what is a mission? Well, I, I want you to know it's not something we concocted one day sitting around sipping coffee. I said, oh, what do you think the mission ought to be? No, the mission is something we believe was given to us by our commander-in-chief, by Jesus. 
In fact, these are his closing words on planet Earth before he returned to heaven. They're recorded in Matthew chapter 28, and I want you to read them together with me. I'm going to sip my tea while you read here, so I'll get you started, but in your outdoor voice, with your outdoor voice, all four campuses, let's read together the mission that Christ has given our church. Go and make disciples... To go and make disciples. Our mission at Christ Community Church is to make as many people as possible, both locally and around the world, into fully devoted followers of Jesus. Disciples is the word that Jesus uses. And, and we believe that when a person becomes a disciple, when a person surrenders their life to Christ, it not only begins to transform their life in this wor world, it redirects their eternal destiny in the world to come. So we think that this mission is, is a pretty important deal. Now, there are four aspects of making disciples, our mission that we're going to cover over the next four weeks. If, if you haven't taken your outline from your program yet, I'd encourage you to get that out. Today, we're going to focus on the first aspect of making disciples. It's called belonging. Say belonging with me. Belonging. Okay, before John Lester could help the Cubs win a World Series, he had to join the team, had to sign up, had to belong. And for you to appreciate the mission of the church or anybody who comes through our doors to become part of it, you know, the first step is belonging. What does it mean to belong to Christ? What does it mean to belong to Christ's team? We're going to look at a story in Acts chapter 10. It's kind of a lengthy story, so if you got your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts, and we're going to note five activities that Christ Community Church engages in on a regular basis so as to enable people to belong, to belong to Christ, to belong to Christ's team. Okay, this is what we do to make it happen here. This is our first value, belonging. How do we do it? Number one, explorers are warmly welcomed. Jot that down in your outline. Explorers are warmly welcome. What do I mean by explorers? Sometimes you'll hear, hear me use another word, the word seekers. Same thing. I'm just talking about people who've not yet committed their lives to Christ. Okay, they're, they're, they're on a journey. They're kicking the tires. They're investigating what it means to have a relationship with God. And we want them to know they are warmly welcomed here. This is the place to do it. You know, so if, if that's you... If you're not a committed Christ follower, but you're checking it out, you know, you are warmly welcomed here. Now, if that doesn't sound unusual to you, let, let, let me point out, I think in many churches, uh, they're designed for those who are you know, strictly believers, the already convinced. Here at Christ Community Church, we go out of our way to minister to people like Cornelius, a guy we're going to meet in the story in Acts 10, who was an explorer. Again, like some of you are, an explorer. So let me read the opening verses of the story to you. If you got your Bible open to Acts uh, chapter 10, I'm going to begin at verse 1. It says, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. 
One day about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. So send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who's also called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now stop there and let me give you some background to this story. One of the two central characters in the story is Cornelius. Verse 1 describes him as a centurion. Centurion was a Roman army officer who oversaw a hundred men. He, he would be the equivalent in uh, an American army today of a captain. Okay, the, these guys were the backbone of the Roman military. And, and, and Cornelius lived in a city called Caesarea. Caesarea at the time was the political capital for the Roman emperor, Empire in the province of Judea. Okay, it was the administrative hub of the, of the Roman Empire in, in that particular province. Now that province was loaded with Jewish people. In fact, Jerusalem was a city in the province of Judea. But Caesarea was not a Jewish city, it was a very Gentile city. It was a seaport, a hustling, bustling trade center. So here's what's so interesting about this, this guy Cor Cornelius. This Gentile Roman soldier, dude living in a very secular city, is a God-fearer. That's what verse 2 says he is. He's devout and God-fearing. Now, God-fearer was a technical term in the first century. A God-fearer was someone who, though not a Jew, was very interested in the Jewish faith. So typically, a person uh, like this would be interested in Judaism because of its monotheism, belief in one God. So this is probably Cornelius. He's been exposed to the pantheon of gods of the Romans. He, he wants to know one God intimately, personally. It's, it's descriptive of a person, a God-fearer is one who, though not a Jew, is going to Jewish synagogue every week, listening to the Bible taught, participating in prayers, maybe engaging in good deeds, as Cornelius was doing. But he's still an explorer. Okay, why hasn't he crossed the line of true faith? Why hasn't he converted? Well, you know, my guess is there's this uh, initiation rite for males in Judaism called circumcision. You know where I'm going with this. My guess, that was a knockout for, uh, for Cornelius. But it didn't keep him from being a seeker, an explorer. You know, j just like explorers come to, to our church and they're interested in a relationship with God. Maybe you grew up a Catholic or Baptist or Methodist. Maybe you had no church background. But, but you, you never got the personal relationship with God thing, and you're, you're here, your ears wide open. From the beginning, a little bit of history, our history here, all the way back in 1984, this is why we began this church. There were six couples meeting together for Bible study in St. Charles. They were all convinced believers. However, they wished that they had a church to which they could bring friends of theirs who were interested in a faith journey, a relationship with God, but not yet committed Christ followers themselves. And they looked at the church and the church that they were part of, they said, this is a great church, but it basically appeals to and understands the already convinced. 
This, this is not a place where our explorer friends would feel comfortable. Now, interestingly, they're having this experience in St. Charles, a thousand miles away. Sue and I are pastoring a traditional church out on Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and we're going through the same experience. It's a very traditional church, and we had just introduced two friends of ours to Christ, people who lived in the condo complex where we were living. A couple named John, who was a bartender, had a nice club, and his wife, Pam, who was involved in the medical community, and they came to know Christ, and then we tried to make them fit at our church, and they didn't fit. There was so much that was strange to them. The whole idea of getting dressed up to go to church in this traditional church. Or singing ancient songs from a hymn book. Or passing a bag down the row and putting money into it. How weird is that, right? So they didn't fit. By God's grace and by his providence, you know, we got connected out on Cape Cod with this group of people in St. Charles who said, you want, want to help us start a church? And we said, if it's for explorers, we're all in. So Christ's community church began with a heart for people who were investigating the faith. Okay, back to the story in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius is an, is an explorer, and so God sends an angel to Cornelius with a vision. He says, Cornelius, I want you to send for a man named Peter. Peter's staying in a town called Joppa nearby. Now, Peter, as you know, was one of Jesus' original disciples, Jewish disciples. Back then, you know, Jews had nothing to do with Gentiles. And so this is about to get very interesting. And just as an aside here, a lot of people who go to church who are Christ followers feel uncomfortable with the notion of explorers being warmly invited into their environment. Church isn't for explorers, it's for us. So Peter had to be given a vision to kind of change his thinking about this in order to warmly welcome Cornelius who had sent people to go get Peter. You with me? And so, so God, I won't bother to read the next section. It's quite lengthy, but you could read Acts 10 on your own sometime. Peter has a vision that's repeated three times. In the vision, a sheet is let down out of heaven, a bed sheet, and on it are animals, some clean, some unclean. In other words, some kosher, some not so kosher. And a voice says, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, whoa, whoa wait a second, I'm a good Jewish boy. We, we don't touch the non-kosher stuff. Three times the vision is repeated, and he's instructed, eat. You know, don't call it clean and unclean. He's scratching his head. What in the world is this all about? And suddenly there's a knock at his front door, and the entourage from Cornelius arrives and says, they say, we got a boss who's a Gentile Roman soldier, and he sent us to get you and bring you back to his house. A Jew didn't go in a Gentile's house, but suddenly the lights go on, and Peter says, I get what the vision is all about. You know, this wasn't a vision about clean and unclean food. It was about people. It was about being accepting of explorers, opening my arms to them. Again, at Christ Community Church, you know, every once in a while, I'll hear rumblings through the grapevine. And someone who's upset because they feel we put too much emphasis on explorers or those who are new to the faith. And some people even go so far as to say, you know, most of our teaching at weekend services, it's like 101 stuff for the newbies. But it's not for convinced believers, mature Christ followers. And I want to say, are you kidding me? 
You know, I go back to 2014, the year we just finished. You know, we launched the year with a series in 1 John. We just went verse by verse through this five-chapter epistle on what it means to be a fully devoted disciple of Jesus. And then we did a series on the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God is all about, how to be a part of the kingdom of God. We did a series on homosexuality. We did a series over the summer on what it means to walk upstream in a downstream world, pushing back against cultural trends that Jesus calls us to resist. We started the fall with a series on the workplace, what it means to be a Christ follower on the job. We did a series on the fear of God. Does this sound like Christianity 101 stuff to you? Of course it isn't. You know, in addition to those kind of sermon series, we got 300 small groups, adult community groups, digging into the Bible, applying it to their lives every week. We are far from catering strictly to explorers. But having said that, we need to learn, as God taught Peter, that he's going to be sending explorers our way every time we open our doors. God is going to be directing Cornelius's to us. Some of you are Cornelius's right now. And this is going to be a, a place where there's a huge welcome mat if you're an explorer. You get it? Good. Good. So that's the first thing we do. If people want to belong to Christ, they want to belong to Christ's team, they got to know that they're going to get a warm welcome here. Number two, the gospel is clearly presented. Now, gospel is a word that means good news. This is the foundational news you need to understand, the basic information in order to begin a relationship with God. The good news, the gospel, you don't understand the good news part of it until you understand the bad news. It assumes some bad news. There is no good news unless you understand the bad news. The bad news is our sins have separated us from a perfectly holy God. That's what the Bible says, Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the bad news gets worse. You know, the Bible goes on to say that the wages of sin, the penalty for sin is death. When we disobey God, when we go our way instead of God's way, okay, when we disconnect from the source of life, the result is death. Spiritual death, physical death at the end of this life. And if the problem doesn't get fixed in the world to come, eternal death. So God sends us a solution in the person of his son, Jesus. Jesus comes to planet Earth to rescue us from death. And he does that by dying on the cross. He does that by taking the death we deserve. Jesus has taken our death on the cross so he can now offer us forgiveness and eternal life if we'll surrender our lives to him. If you've never done that before, this is the good news. This is the gospel. You could have forgiveness. You can have eternal life, new life that begins today through Christ who died on the cross and was raised again on your behalf. This is the gospel that Peter preached to Cornelius when he finally got to his home. Now, again, I'm going to skip ahead in the story. If you've got your Bible open to Acts 10, drop down to verse 39. So we're picking it up in the middle of Peter's sermon. He's bold enough to walk right into the home of this Gentile, where as a Jew, he's not supposed to be, and start talking Jesus. And he tells Cornelius how Jesus has done all these miracles, 
Verse 39, middle of the sermon, he says, and we're witnesses of everything Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Now, they killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us. I mean, we ate, we drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. See, you either meet Jesus as Savior in this life or you face him as judge in the life to come. All the prophets, Peter concludes, all the prophets testify about Jesus that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's interesting, Bible scholars tell us that if we were reading this passage that I just read to you in the original Greek, uh, we would see that it is very well crafted. Almost as if Peter sat down ahead of time and kind of outlined what he wanted to say. He put it together very carefully. You know, or or it, it, it's just possible that he's done this presentation numerous times. This is, this, this is the essential stuff you got to believe to begin a relationship with God through Christ. Now, around Christ Community Church, what we've done is we've taken that essential information and we put it together in a little booklet. We call it the uh, God's Good News Booklet. And it's filled with Bible verses and with some helpful diagrams and uh, four or five steps that, you know, if you want to begin a relationship with God, this is how it goes. Okay, God has a purpose for your life. Sin has messed up that purpose. Christ came to fix things. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. This is what it means to surrender your life to him, all explained in that God's Good News booklet. If you're an explorer, you want to know how to begin a relationship with God, pick up a God's Good News booklet any week at Christ's Community. You could pick it up at the information counter at any one of our campuses or back at the Welcome Center. And, and it closes with a little prayer that you could pray. If you really mean your heart's desire is to begin this relationship with God and you just don't know what to say to him, it's all right there in the God's Good News booklet. Any week, any week, pick one up. Now, let me say this. If you're a Christ follower, you, you ought, ought to have two or three copies of that God's Good News booklet handy because you never know when you're going to need it. You never know when you're going to get in a spiritual discussion with a friend or a workmate or somebody you've just met. And a couple of weeks ago, Sue and I were shopping at a store on Navy Pier in Chicago. So we're checking out. The sales clerk's ringing our stuff up. His name is Elvis. Not making this up. Okay, young guy in his 20s, and Elvis tells us he's going to school. Hey, what are you doing these days? Elvis, this is your full-time job. He's going to school for psychology to help people break free of addictions. You say, oh, that's really great. You know what we've discovered? Th that it's really important to have God as part of any habit you want to break. Okay? He he's the one who gives the power to make it happen. And he's nodding his head, and it's turning into a God conversation. Of course, there are people behind us who want to pay for their stuff. So Sue reaches into her purse. Always amazes me what my wife has in her purse. <laughs> and she pulls out a God's Good News booklet. And she says, Elvis, this kind of explains... And this is the message that's changed our lives. And we hope you find it interesting. And boom, we're on. So I'd encourage you, you know, this is, this is a great summary of what the good news is. So if you're a Christ follower, always be prepared to uh, pass it on to someone who is investigating the faith. So the gospel is clearly presented. Here's the third thing we try to do around here. Conversion 
is tangibly noted. Conversion is tangibly noted. Now, the, the moment you put your trust in Christ around here, you surrender your life to him, we, we try to make that a tangible experience. Now, let, let me go back to Peter as he's presenting the gospel to Cornelius and his buds. By the way, I forgot to say this. Any weekend you attend Christ's community, you're going to hear the gospel because I'm going to do my best no matter what the topic is, whether we're talking marriage or finances or workplace. See, if you, if you don't understand the gospel, you can't put into practice anything we teach. You could know the right thing to do, but the power for doing the right thing has to come from within. And God only comes to live on the inside when you've surrendered your life to Christ. And you only understand what it means to surrender your life to Christ when you get the gospel. So that's why we're always going to be weaving it in. If you've got a friend who's an explorer, bring them any weekend to Christ's community. They're going to hear the gospel in some way, shape, or form. And, and several times a year, they're going to hear the gospel really plainly because we're going to have a wow weekend with a celebrity guest. And, you know, they're going to tell their faith story of how they came uh, to surrender to Christ. Our next one is Michael Jr. So we're going to have this stand-up comedian, national reputation. He's going to be here on our platform doing a little bit of stand-up and then sharing his faith journey. People are going to hear the gospel. So the gospel is clearly presented. And then when people make a decision... Yeah, I want to surrender my life to Christ. Conversion is tangibly noted. Now go back to Acts 10. Peter's presenting the gospel and his listeners, they're getting it. I mean, you, you, you could just sense that the lights are going on. And before Peter can even get to the place where he asks for a response from them, they're like ready to surrender their lives to Christ. Pick it up at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words... He's not even done with his sermon. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, meaning the Jewish Christ followers, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Now what is this speaking in tongues business here? Okay, does it mean that they were speaking in another language other than their own native language? Does it mean they were speaking in some heavenly language? Dr. Luke, who writes the book of Acts, he doesn't tell us what he means by tongue speaking here. But this is very similar to the phenomenon experienced by Jesus' original disciples a little bit earlier, recorded in Acts chapter 2. So if you know the story, here, here, here's the story. Jesus is returning to heaven. And just before he leaves the planet, he gathers his followers and he says, don't leave Jerusalem until I send you the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit's going to come and live on the inside. He's going to take my place on the planet. And so the disciples are waiting in Jerusalem. And when the Holy Spirit comes some days later and fills them, they begin speaking in other languages. A similar phenomenon to what's going on here. Which leads us to ask the question, so is tongues the usual sign that people have surrendered their lives to Christ and the Holy Spirit has come to live on the inside? Is that what you can expect for your life? Well, probably not. You know, in fact, there are only a couple of occasions where, you know, tongues occurs here in the book of Acts as people are converted, but there are lots of conversion stories in Acts where there's no tongue speaking. So why did it happen here with Cornelius and his buds? 
I think if you read between the lines here, you know what's going on. Okay. Peter can't believe that the Holy Spirit of God would actually come to indwell a Gentile? That a Gentile could come to know Christ, become part of God's eternal kingdom? Are you kidding me? And I don't think Peter and his Jewish buds would have believed in the conversion of Cornelius unless God had said, let's shake things up a little bit. Let's give a supernatural sign. How about tongues? Same sign you were given when the Spirit of God came to indwell you. That's what I think is going on here. So what about when somebody surrenders their life to Christ at our church? What is the usual sign that something has truly happened to them, that the Holy Spirit has come to live on the inside? Well, this is going to sound kind of boring to you after you look at the tongue speaking in Acts chapter 10. But here's how it usually works in our services. You know, when we have a Christmas Eve outreach or a wow weekend, you will come to the end of the service and I'll invite people who want to surrender to Christ to pray a prayer with me. If you've been around here, you've heard me go through this. And I'll walk them through step by step a surrender prayer. And then I'll get to the end of the prayer and say, if you just prayed that from your heart, you just surrendered your life to Jesus as Savior and King, I, I want you to note it by raising your hand and putting it back down in your lap. Bunches of hands go up. And then we close the prayer and I say to people something like this. And again, this sounds familiar to you if you've been around. I say, you know, you just took the first step in a walk with Christ, but we want to help you take the next steps. So we've put together some information that will help you get started in this new relationship. It's called the Next Steps Packet. It's available at the Welcome Center at any one of our four campuses. Pick one up at the end of the service. I'll be honest with you, many, many, many more hands go in the air at the end of the prayer than actually people make it back to the Welcome Center to pick up a Next Steps Packet. But I think that's okay because I think it it sort of separates, as it were, the men from the boys, spiritually speaking. Okay, people who raise their hand just in a moment of impulse. Yeah, did I hear something free? Jesus, free? I'll take it, yeah. But now you're asking me to go to the Welcome Center and pick something? Oh, that's a bother. Or I'd be embarrassed to do that. Well, I just think you've tested the sincerity of your decision right there. See, I think someone in whom the Spirit of God has just come to live, I think when that person hears we got information for you that will help you take first steps in a walk with Christ, they're going to be out of their seat and say, let me at it. And so I think the sign here, as it were, at Christ Community Church of a person making a genuine decision for Christ is to go back and pick up that next steps packet. And let me say, those of you who are Christ followers, one of the ways you can help, especially when you've brought guests to one of our services, guests who are explorers. This is something my wife does. She's taught me. You know, we, we've had guests just, you know, that Nick Walenda Wow Weekend, Christmas Eve services, and I'm typically on the platform. Sue's sitting with our guests. Anytime we have guests, she will turn to them at the end of a service when an invitation to respond has been given, and she'll say, now, if you want to go back to that Welcome Center and pick up a Next Steps packet, I'd love to go back with you. You want to go back? We could go back and pick it up together. It's a real simple thing to do. But you pave the way for people to take that next step. By the way, in the last month and a half, starting with Nick Walenda, the WOW Weekend, and then three of our four campuses had Christmas concerts at the beginning of December. And then we all had Christmas Eve services.
well over 200 Next Steps packets were picked up. Over 200 people beginning a new relationship with Christ, and I can't believe you're not clapping wildly right now. Yes, yeah, this is, this is really incredible stuff. In 2014, over 600 Next Steps packets picked up. You know, people who didn't just raise a hand, but people who got up from their seat and went back and said, yeah, this is me, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. I had a friend call me from the East Coast, pastor on the East Coast, this last week, and he said, I have heard about your year, 2014, 600 and some people picking up Next Steps packets. How do you guys do it? And I walked him through the steps I've just been explaining to you. Well, you know, it starts with an environment where explorers are welcome. You know, if, if people who are kicking the tires don't feel like this is a safe place to investigate the faith, then you, you got nobody to invite to surrender to Christ. They got to feel welcome here. And then you got to present the gospel on a regular basis. And then you got to call for conversion, a tangible sign. And then you get to step number four. So if you're filling out your outline, here's number four. The fourth thing we do baptism is joyfully celebrated. Now, this is unbelievable how quickly it happens in this story. But here, here Peter's preaching, and before he's done, they're going, we're in, we're in. We want to surrender to Christ. And so Peter says, end of verse 46, then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. This is quick. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. You know, since the beginning of the Christian movement, this has been the outward sign that I'm all in, that I've surrendered my life to Christ, my allegiance is with him. You get baptized. You know, bap baptism is a drama. It's an acting out of a story. You go under the water, you come back out. And it paints a picture of just as Christ died on the cross for my sins, I'm dying to an old way of life. And just as he was raised from the dead, I'm coming out of the water as a brand new person following Jesus as Savior and King. And if, you, if you've never gotten baptized, I'm not talking about, you know, as an infant, a decision your parents made for you. I'm talking about your decision, having chosen to surrender to Christ. If you've never gotten baptized, our next baptism celebration is March 14th and 15th. We've got orientation classes ahead of time. You just need to go to one so that we're sure you understand what you're about to do. Okay, March 14 and 15, plan to be part of that. See, in the early days of our church, we started baptizing people right away. Now, we met in a movie theater. There was no place on site to baptize people, so we had to baptize them outside. I was really cold in January doing that. Let me tell you, breaking the ice, stunking them under. We never did it in January. But typically in the early, very early days of the church, we did it in an outdoor swimming pool in my mom and dad's backyard. They got a big backyard, above ground pool for five or six years straight. That's where people who found Christ at Christ Community got baptized in this huge blowout celebration. Cars were parked all over, banners, balloons, music going on. In fact, I'm really curious. I've asked this of the other services. I'm wondering, is there anybody here who's been around that long that you got baptized in my mom and dad's backyard? I don't suspect if you're at a regional campus, that's true, but there may be a few in St. Charles. Anybody? Stand up if you would. Go ahead. Let's see. Okay, we got at least one couple here. Yeah. All right. 
Wow. You guys are really old. I want to ask a follow-up question. If you have gotten baptized to show your allegiance to Jesus at any point in our last 30 years, whether it was our very last baptism service a few months ago or 10 years ago, would you stand? If you've been baptized at Christ Community Church, you stand. Whoa. Yeah. All right. Just for the record, 2014, you saw it on the annual report, 275 people getting baptized at our church. It's hard for us to put the historical information together because, you know, we're not always sure we got all the facts, but as well as we can determine, over 3,000 people have been baptized as followers of Jesus at Christ Community Church. So baptism is fully celebrated so that people feel like they belong to Christ. They belong in his team. One last thing. One final practice. Number five, community is strongly promoted. Okay, after Cornelius and his buds become Christ followers, the early church explodes with growth. Many of those who become believers were, you know, were Gentiles, like Cornelius was, and they were formerly explorers. They'd been searching for a relationship with God. Just up the road from Caesarea, there was this city called Antioch, and so many people came to Christ in Antioch that the church's leaders down in Jerusalem, they're, they're wondering, what do we do? I mean, we've got a problem. It's a good problem. What do we do with all these new Christ followers? And the, the one thing they determined was, well, we got to band them together. See, if they try to follow Christ on their own, there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christ follower. You'll never survive. You need community. You need corporate worship. You, you, you need the systematic teaching of God's word. You need brothers and sisters in the faith. And so they send some help to this uh, town of Antioch. In fact, go to the next chapter. I just want to read it to you. Beginning at verse 22 of Acts 11. News of this, all these people coming to Jesus in Antioch, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And so Barnabas, what do you do with all these people? He went to Tarsus to look for Saul, who later became known as Paul, the Apostle Paul. And when he found Paul, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Paul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. See, just like a baseball player needs a team... Now, I don't care if you could pitch a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. You're not a pitcher unless you're playing on a team. Okay, you can't be a Christ follower unless you've got the team in a Christ community church. We've realized that once people surrender their lives to Christ and begin to belong, they need to be taught the importance of community with other Christ followers, the importance of the church, the importance of gathering on weekends, whatever the weather. <laughs> So you can worship God where a trained pastor will teach you God's word, where you'll be able to celebrate communion, where you'll be challenged to use the gifts that God's given you in service to other members of the body, where you can belong. You know, let me say for years, we have not put a huge emphasis on membership here. 
Because we got so many people who are participating and they're faithful to the church and they're serving and they're giving and they, they've never officially become members. We've been cool with that. But recently we've been rethinking that maybe this membership deal is more important. You know, may, maybe there's a purpose and a place for people formally saying, I belong to this church. This is my church. I love this community of faith. And so we're, we're retooling our membership process. It used to be a four-week deal called GPS. We're going to shorten it in 2015 to a two-week class because we want to make it as accessible as we possibly can to people so they can say, I belong. This is my church. We're even going to put the word belong in the title. Begin to belong is what the class is going to be called. So when you hear about it, I hope you'll step up. If you're not yet a member. And beyond that, you need something more than this big group of people. Even at our regional campuses, hundreds of people gathered. You know, you need five to ten people who you can meet with every week and you dig into the Bible and you apply it to your lives and you hold each other accountable to grow and you pray for each other and you're, you're there for each other during difficult times. We call that community groups at Christ Community Church. Did you know, did you see the figure on the annual report? 78% of our weekend attenders are in community groups. Got to tell you, the figure is wrong. It's changed. It's now 82%. It's gone up since we put together that video. 82%. But that still means that when you leave here today, you step out into the lobby of your campus, one out of every five people you, you, you bump into is not part of a community group yet. And so we're, we're going to do a campaign over the next several months. Consider it launched right here, okay? I'm launching it. Here we go. If you're in a community group, it's called the Add One Campaign. And what it means is sometime between January and March, we want you to add at least one new member to your community group. Not going to happen unless you invite them. Not going to happen unless you're friendly before and after services, mingling with people in the lobby and saying, oh, yeah, you're from where? Oh, cool, yeah, we live in the neighboring suburb. Are you in a community group yet? Why don't you join ours? It's going to take that kind of inviting while you're dropping your kids off at Kids World. Hey, you in a couples group? We're in a couples group with other people with kids our age. Well, join ours. Or at work, you hear somebody say, oh, you're interested in the Bible. Not interested in church. But they've never read the Bible. That would be interesting. You say, well, you know, we do a Bible study if you'd like to join us. Inviting. So add one over the next several months. We want this to, to be an enormously friendly place where people feel a warm welcome. Like we want them to belong. W will you help us make Christ community that place in the new year? So Toby Keith has written a song that I would like to make the unofficial theme song of Christ Community Church. <laughs> now, we got to change one word. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read you the words to the opening verse and chorus of this song. I'm going to change one word. I'm going to change bar to church. And as I read you these lyrics, I want the worship teams at the four campuses to come out on stage because we're going to go out on a high-energy worship song that kind of bonds us together. We're also going to collect our offering, our gifts, because if you really love the church, you show it tangibly. You support what God's doing financially. So here are the words. Tell me if you don't think this would be a great theme song for Christ's community. 
We got winners, we got losers, chain smokers and boozers. <laughs> don't think we don't. We got yuppies, we got bikers, we got thirsty hitchhikers. Hmm, I love this bar, a uh, church. <laughs> and then the chorus, the other verses are just as good. I love this church, it's my kind of place. Just walking through the front door puts a big smile on my face. It ain't too far, so come as you are. I love that line. Come, as you, come if you're an explorer. Come if you're a committed Christ follower. Come if you don't believe some of the stuff we teach. You think it's a bunch of nonsense, but you're, you're, you're willing to investigate a relationship. with. You come with whatever baggage you want to come with. You're going to belong here. Mmm, I love this church. Could we make that our, our song at Christ Community Church? What do you think? Yeah. Well, our worship teams, they're going to lead us in a worship song, so stay seated as they go through the opening verse. That'll allow our ushers to come down and wait on us for our gifts, and then our campus pastors will close in prayer at each of our campuses. Sing from your heart. <laughs> 